Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the MotoGP Extra podcast. This week, the MotoGP paddock returns to Japan for the first time since 2019. I'm Reese, and joining me as usual to discuss the events of the weekend is Dill. Now, probably something we should get out of the way first. Obviously, the weekend, the format of the weekend was a little bit different than we've had pretty much any other race we've ever had. And that's because of the freight. So I guess a kind of similar thing to Argentina, but this time it was planned. So the freight was going to take a while to turn up. So there was a lot less practice time. There was only one free practice session for each class in the Friday afternoon. However, MotoGP, they got like a two-hour one or something like really long like that. So it's kind of made up for the time they missed. But it did shape the weekend because we also had a wet qualifying. So it was a, a pretty topsy-turvy weekend, a bit of a different format. But I just thought I'd cover that first. So I suppose we'll move straight on to Moto3 because other than that, coming into the weekend, there wasn't particularly any news as long as I've not missed anything there don't believe I have but was a, a bit of a strange Moto3 race I'll hand it over to you to say your thoughts on that but it wasn't quite the standard one we've had in the past it's uh, quite similar to actually the last few where we've had gaps begin to emerge where we haven't in so much in recent times had gaps we've had mass 10 11 12 rider brawls and again now watching back half asleep as well probably didn't help but being in <laughs> Japan completely out of sync but I started to see gaps appear in multiple places. Long ago, you used to kind of get a gap for maybe the top eight, and then a gap and a gap. Whereas now you're getting a gap between the top four, a gap between the top nine, a gap between the top 14. So there could be like five, six groups in a whole race. So Moto3 is changing over time. It's slightly becoming a different, uh, different kind of tactics, different sport, you could say. Almost it's just slightly different. Now, in Japan... It's a very, shall we say, it's a pretty basic track in some parts. Turn one into two 90 degree corners, into another 90 degree, into another 90 degree, into another 90 degree. You have a couple of S-bends, then you have a few hairpins and a 90 degree and a little chicane. It's, it's quite a basic track, so it's probably, sometimes when you go to these more basic tracks, it's actually harder for riders to get up to speed with them. And uh, one guy we had tipped all along was Gouverre, that he might struggle there with his lack of experience, but... As we'll cover in a second, he had a pretty good race. But overall, we, we ended up with a group of kind of a top four, top five again. And a pretty decent race. But again, none of the three races were jaw-dropping. They were, um, I think, again, the bikes have all moved on. So it was a bit, a bit of a weird weekend overall in that sense. Yeah, I suppose it was a little bit similar to Aragon, like you say, with the, the groups. But it was more extreme than that, even. It was... Uh so so yeah. spread out it was literally the top four like you say and then like another group of four all completely broken up i think probably a big part to play in that was whoever's bike was already dialed in so good because they had such little running but also i think track characteristics things like that as well the, the grid being a bit topsy-turvy probably so all these things kind of played into a factor but i think really you've got to put it to slightly down to Guevara with this uh searing pace we'll move on to him once again winning it and you know, in dominant style, just like an Aragon. He's done it a few times this season now where he's basically just gone around all weekend, doing the laps on his own. He can do the lap times. He's quicker than everybody else. Everybody always tipped him as this amazing rider. I mean, he beat Pedro Acosta to the Junior GP Championship back in 2020. So it's, it's I think it's going to be hard to look past him now. I don't know what you think. Yeah, this was probably the first point where we go, right, he could struggle there. He could be 12th there. But he blew everyone out of the water. He was just simply quicker throughout the weekend. He was decent in qualifying. No, he, he wasn't 
front row pole position pace most of the weekend, but as always, that's not really his strategy. He's more of a long burner. He's more of a thinking man rider, I suppose you could say. And as always, he seems to get himself to the front at the right time and just has that kind of nice style where he can make a gap and doesn't need to ride over the limit. He's smooth. He doesn't seem to take it out of the tyres. And a very, very skilled rider, of course, Aizan uh, is, and really, really deserves... 25 points today and with his teammate finishing a good bit behind him you have to say now match point it will be in Thailand next time out there's a good chance he could put his hand on that title soon I reckon it's I don't want to say it's done yet I don't want to jinx him because I do like him he's doing really well but um, he was just very very consistent and quite controlled today where if you were a little over the edge we saw some big crashes from people in the chasing group and uh, he just seemed to keep his cool, and overall he had a brilliant race today. Yeah, he certainly did, and speaking of crashes, obviously there was that big crash for uh, Yama Masia. He was uh, looking a little bit more on form this weekend until that, so that was rather unfortunate, but Garcia's, uh, Guevara's teammate, sorry, should I say, Garcia, was not looking so on form this weekend, struggled in the dry FP1, was a bit more up there in the rain, to be honest. He had an interesting incident in qualifying. I'm not sure if you saw... Um, I think he got away with it because it was through a yellow flag zone where it kind of happened. Where he, he'd crashed, he'd got back on, he was dawdling on the racing line. And I think he probably got away with the fact that he was dawdling because he got in Guevara's way and there was another rider behind Guevara that he also sort of balked. Uh, I think he mainly got away with that because of the yellow flag, because I guess technically they should have backed off anyway. But really it was, it was just lucky. He wasn't, he hadn't slowed down for that. He was cruising even approaching that section, so... That was a bizarre incident from him, so it was a first kind of sign of a, a crack this weekend. I mean, he's already sort of started to go downhill, really, the second half of the season. I mean, he was looking so clinical in the first part. But once again, struggling, didn't have the pace of Guevara all weekend. Obviously, the wet qualifying did help him, but Guevara, once again, also excelled in those conditions. Garcia just didn't have the pace in the race, and I would say, you know, he's really looking to drop out the championship now. I mean, same with... Fodger, at least Fodger was somewhat up there, but Fodger had a terrible weekend before, so both the title rivals, they're just, they're just not consistent enough compared to Guevara. Yeah, and you hit the nail there, and exactly on the head with Guevara especially, he just is so consistent, and he's not consistently forward, he's consistently first and second, nearly every race weekend, at least some point, he tries to get to the front and get away, whereas a lot of Moto3 riders seem to be like, well, on P6... I'll be here when the last battle happens to the last corner and I'll either be third or I'll be 13th. So he seems to have a different approach than everyone else. Garcia has just completely gone off the ball of late. Even his pace hasn't been good enough, at least with Fodja. Some weeks he's on it, some weeks he's not. Garcia just doesn't have the pace of late and he really is struggling at the moment. We thought maybe going to these flyaways, we've mentioned so many times in the last maybe three podcasts that going to these flyaways, we might see... A chink in Guevara's armor. We might see Garcia, the man with more experience, Fodja, more experience. Japan, Honda's home track. We might saw a little bit of a comeback for the Honda teams. But no, so far, Guevara has everyone in his pocket. And I don't really see how Garcia gets anywhere near Guevara without Guevara being taken out, having mechanical or making a mistake himself. Fodja, again, he might beat him next to Mountain Thailand. And then he could be 15th in Sepang, and he could be 12th in uh, Philip Isle, and then he could go up and win again in Valencia. That's just the sort of form and just the kind of calibre rider is. He doesn't show up every week, 
and this is why we're kind of sitting here going well he's just a bit too far back in the championship and uh, Garcia's is just a weird one though because I, I remember start of the season he was the one that's like no matter what he does he will be there I remember that overtake in Argentina in the penultimate corner sublime overtake and I just thought this kid is probably going to be the more three champ this year he just seems to have that extra one or two percent over everyone he just seems to be kind of more comfortable on the limit he seems to be able to play with them more and as the season goes on I think as we mentioned last podcast a bit of in-team politics has kind of affected Garcia a lot more than Guevara and it seems to actually brought Guevara more to the fore and now we have this intricate battle between teammates but it's really one side at the moment and you have to say it's it's Guevara's now to lose I don't think it's in the hands of the other two at all yeah I, I feel like it is definitely Guevara's to lose now I mean he's had such a good run of form of late. We'll have to see, but we are approaching the end of the, the year, and he, he's got a pretty big lead. I'm not sure exactly how much it is, but it's I think it's cracking on for two race wins worth, I think, isn't it, at this point? So it's uh, it's getting to the point where in a couple of races' time, he could be looking at wrapping up early. So it, it really has gone from a Garcia-dominant season to a Guevara one. So Garcia really dropped off the ball there. But we'll move on to Moto2 now then. Another race where the championship... Well, for the top two, hasn't changed a lot, but a couple of riders, I think, fully taking themselves out of it now. Cello Sinovietti, once again, terrible weekend, crashed in qualifying, didn't get through Q1, crashes again in the race. I mean, we already said it was over for Vietti, but this season seems to have gone from, wow, he's really overperforming in his second season, to arguably he's now underperforming. Yeah, and it was, it's been a weird season for Vietti. He, like we go back to the start season he was ridiculously quick got lucky in a lot of times where he didn't have the pace and kind of was kept out of accidents that he should have been in to the point where n- now he can't he couldn't see a checkered flag for the life of him he's having he's just having a really rough bit of form at the moment I think it got to the point where he started to feel the pressure from Gore, from Canis, from Fernandez, and as the season got on, he started to make a few more mistakes. And as the harder he tries, the worse it becomes. And now it's just got to the point where he's overriding. He's it, he's kind of in his own head, thinking that he's trying to win a championship in his second year. He's still very young. He he'll take a, over the kind of winter. He'll take a lot from this. Now, right now, after picking the bike out of gravel this morning, I don't think he'll have much interest in uh, that kind of philosophy of thinking next year will be much better, more of a complete Chessy Vietti. But he has smart people around him. They will build him back up to what he can be and what he was at the start of the season where he was metronomic, apex to apex, white line to white line, very silky smooth. But it's just unfortunate. It's got to miss towards the end of the year. Again, we're going to track so he hasn't been to his bike swift. So there's all these things, they add up. This is the World Championship at the end of the day. There is no slack. If you are have any doubt or any slight little niggle or you're just not confident in one thing, your 15th and if you try and override it you do end up in the gravel now that's just what's happening with Vietti of late and really his his championship position he's he's not that good yet if you look he's not a top three or four rider yet he, on his day of course he was showing it but for now he's building but next year please god i reckon he'll be pretty quick and he'll definitely have a good few race wins like this year but hopefully the main thing is he just improves his saturdays and it'll just give the pressure a little less pressure on a Sunday, and then he can just go about his business a bit more clinical, and he won't have to make up 15 places to get on the podium. So, like I keep saying, it's to be all about next year for me. I, I believe he'll have a strong 2023. 
Yeah, I think you made a good, make a good point there with the, the whole next year thing, because if we're being honest, nobody expected him to come into this championship as a contender. It's his second season. We thought, you know, he'd have the sort of the general second season, you know, based on his first season. There's always, there's kind of two levels of Moto2 riders. There's one where they get a race win in their first season, and they're looking good, and you're like, okay, they can fight for the championship in the second one. And then there's one where, you know, what they show sign of promise, maybe get a top five or something, and you're like, you know what, they could maybe get a couple podiums, maybe a win next year, and then the year after they could push for the championship. And I think Vietti falls into that latter category, but then somehow got himself into the championship fight at the start of the season, and it was just, it was never really expected to happen. Maybe the pressure's got to him, but very young rider, so hopefully, yeah, of course, like you say, he can bounce back next year. And somebody else who's probably going to have to, at this point, sit there and say, I've got to bounce back next year, is Aaron Canet. This season, just not gone to plan for him whatsoever. Um, I think he's kind of putting too much pressure on him at this point. It's one of those things where I think it's getting so many races, each time a race passes and he doesn't win, the pressure to win builds. This time, it looked like a slam dunk. His start was great. There was a bit of carnage at the beginning. Well, not carnage necessarily, but mistake from Chantra kind of held the rest of the pack back he then held up the the chasing pack for a while Canet had a huge lead it was looking like his race to lose and once again that's exactly what he did what do you think Darren Canet yeah well I just go back to the stats race the earlier shenanigans just gave him a breather and he was just pulled the gap then P2 jumped off and you thought surely now he can control this race in the front and I was kind of looking at him going well He's not a massive crasher when he's not injured or he doesn't have some sort of issue. He's usually pretty consistent. He usually gets better towards the end of the race. Why not? Can he not win this one? Why can't he get this one over the line? I thought this would be a great opportunity, along with pretty much everyone. I wasn't the only one having these kind of ideas. And a very Mitegi crash, probably just chasing a small bit on the brakes, maybe just overriding and just pushing just to get maybe a bigger gap. Maybe he was thinking of, like, so Fernandez would come back at him, or Agora. And unfortunately, he just made a small mistake, and racing is unfair. Small mistakes get punished. He ended up in the gravel, and rejoined and crashed again. Yeah, he actually but, did, didn't he? He crashed again. Which was, um, I remember seeing the second crash, and he looked like he was on an outlap. He looked like he was cruising. He just rolled off the end of the front tyre and into turn one gravel again for a second crash, and... It was just a oh, it was terrible, really. He just he's in that class long enough. He's in a decent team. He's not on a, a Bosco score or an MV or something a bit kind of funky that you go, oh, well, that chassis does weird things at that point of the race. It could be down to that. He's on the Calyx. There shouldn't he shouldn't have made that mistake. Now, of course, it's very easy to say that sitting in my armchair here, but he is a proven race winner in the junior categories. He had a very good stellar young career coming up through the ranks, and most people rate Alan Aaron Cannett as a future GP rider so as you said every race passes percent of pressure goes up by one or two and it is getting to him because he has a whole if people might know that he has a dicky ball when he's in Park Firma and when he wins his first race he'll tell everyone what's the boat and I think people are getting more intrigued by it so there's more pressure on him to win because people want to know the story and I think he might be actually his own worst enemy by having that kind of story behind his first race win with the dicky ball so I, I think he just needs to go away and now reset try his best for the last few races of the season. He's not really in the, anywhere in the championship. That'll be any threat to Fernandez Iagora. So, great focus. He might come out and fill up Ireland and just absolutely wipe the field. So, 
he definitely has the talent. He just needs to put a weekend together. And like you said, he's not had a great season for multiple reasons on and off track. So it'd be good for him to finish strongly this year. Of course, he has his contract for next year. So maybe he could build something towards a 23 title charge along with the likes of Yeti, Costa, Gore again, maybe Sam Lowe's if he has a consistent year, Jake Dixon. There's going to be a lot of them there next year. You'd want to kind of get a race win off your back as fast as you can. Of course, everyone wants to win every race, but there'll be times this season that he's probably looks back and goes, well, I could have done, I could have won that one, or especially now today, he probably ruled us for a while, but it, it will come eventually. He's definitely has the, the calibre and the talent, but it'll just be the matter of pulling it all together. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the second or third time he's crashed out the lead this season. So, you know, it is a, becoming a bit of a recurring theme. So I definitely think he's probably putting a bit too much pressure on himself. But you did briefly mention Agoro and Fernandez being the two contenders with Canit now sort of being out of it, although he's kind of already out of it. Those two, once again, phenomenal rides from the pair of them. Agora's start, well, his first lap was unbelievable because he came from, what, about 13th of the grid to be about, like, 4th? It was amazing. It was a great start from Agora. Fernandez had a bit of a slower start. He got stuck behind Jake Dixon for a while. But in the, in the end, the cream rose to the top, as it always does. Agora in the lead, around about two seconds ahead of Augusto Fernandez. And they were just pushing each other fastest lap for one, fastest lap for the other, fastest lap for one, fastest lap for the other. And it was an intriguing race in that way, even though there wasn't actually an on-track battle with them. We could probably... Uh, Thank uh, Alonso Lopez for some great on-track battle for that, to be fair. It was a great battle between him and Fernandez, but allowed Agora to get away 100%. But those two pushing each other so much, neither of them putting a foot wrong, they're, they're really making this look like a, it's between them two. And just a great win from Agora and a great sort of damage limitation for Fernandez as well. Yeah, they're just, they're just the two most consistent at the moment and performing at the highest level. Ayagora was amazing today. Home race, a Japanese team, a Japanese rider. Everything just ticked all the boxes. Of course, he didn't have a great weekend up until the race and then qualifying, but he is the kind of ultimate Moto2 Sunday man. His his race start was phenomenal. And he just looked so good when he got to lead. He was I noticed that he was backing in a lot on the kind of backing into a lot of the 90 degree corners and kind of the hairpin corners, just taking a bit of weight off the front, just riding a bit more in a safe manner. Then kind of depending on the front end so he just seems to have it really under control of course like you mentioned lopez had some unbelievable battles with fernandez for maybe two or three laps where he just kept leaving the break off and running wide doing the same thing in the corner later strip streaming on back past augusto fernandez is just slightly one of the heavier mortal two riders and that does catch him now and again but when he got past alonso lopez he did have a kind of a, a couple of laps where he thought oh he's taking a bit of time out of him but Ayagora responded with a couple of fast laps, as you said, of his own, steadied the ship and just kind of managed the battle, managed the gap, never really close enough that you thought he might actually be in trouble and he just looks so silky smooth again, very, very Ayagora-esque and just overall brilliant race. I was so happy for him. There was so much emotion in his pit box. I believe his mother was there in tears as he came around the last lap. Hiroshiyama <laughs> looked like he was having kittens. He was on the edge from about lap three onwards, probably. It was just, it was brilliant. They know they have a, a gem in that team and they, he really did perform today. But Augusto kept him honest. You have to give him props there that he didn't really um, fade late in the race up against such a very consistent Iagora. So we're really looking for a bit of a tense final few races here. It's going to be epic for these two. Yeah, and I actually completely glossed over the fact, of course, it was Agora's home race and 
It was a, a victory at home. That's the uh, always the best thing. It's always great to see a rider win at the home race as well. You're always kind of rooting for the home rider to do it in front of their home crowd. And I think it's like the first one for like 15, 16 years, something like that. First Japanese winner at home. Yeah, well, it was actually at Arashi, Ayama, yeah, yeah, 2006. Yeah. I think he had the last Japanese podium in like 08 here. But I think his last win was 06. So a long time ago. And Japanese ride on Japanese bike, that's... Uh, kind of like Tamada back in like 04 so yeah. been a been a long time the history uh, yeah it's, just, it's it's great to see a competitive Japanese rider coming through it must be said because I mean we've got Nakagami of course in MotoGP but I don't think it's unfair to say that Agora's Moto2 career has dwarfed Nakagami's completely so it's um it's uh, definitely nice to see but I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here out of the two championship contenders, if you had to say now, who is your money on? Like Agora or Fernandez, just based on the current form? Well, I'm Can I answer in next week's podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I go with Agora. No, I don't know if that's more because I want Agora to win it because I was I had a bad taste when he lost the Model Three title to Arenas. Um, yeah, Agora. I'll put my money where my mouth is. I go with Agora. I think he is. Yeah, I, I don't know what he has, but he has something, and I think he just might see him out, but I, it could go either way. They are two titans, heavyweights of the Mono 2 category. They both have very, very good teams. They have everything. I don't see any weakness in either of them, so it'll be just down to just to see who, who, can, who can do it on the day. So I'm going to go with Iagor, because he touch wood. I'm going to touch all the wood around me that he doesn't really make mistakes in the races. It was a bit of a remarkable thing where he kind of crashes over Friday or Saturday gets out of a system and then seems to be right as rain for the race. So yeah, I'm going to stick with Ayagora. Hopefully I haven't cursed him. <laughs> and uh, I did really put him on the spot for that. I wasn't on the script, so I just, nope. I just thought that while he was talking for us. So <laughs> I'll ask him. <laughs> why it took about 10 minutes of bluffing just to make up an answer. For the record, my money's also on Agora because I think oh. the next couple of races, sort of Thailand, Malaysia, They'll be right up his alley. Conditions he's ridden yeah. in many times in the past in the Asia Talent Cup, for example. So mm. I think the races are on his side. But we'll move on to MotoGP then now. And really the action kind of started before the race even started for MotoGP with poor old Alasia Spargo. Bad luck once again for him. He finally got over his bad run of form with a podium in Aragon. And then his bike, you know, has some sort of problem. I, th I think I saw somewhere where it was an ECU issue, so he was stuck in a setting and he couldn't change it. I don't know if that's 100% right, but that's what I read online. And as we know, you can't trust the internet. But, you know, that it's, it sounds it sounds feasible. You could hear on the onboards, the bike didn't sound it was like it was running right. You could see it just cut to like an onboard cam of him with his hands on his head. And it's like, what's going on with LA? She was just, And then he had to start from the pit lane. Just bless him. I feel so sorry for him. What does he have to do? Yeah, I, from my understanding, now it is also from the internet, so we'll take it with a pinch of salt. He had it in some sort of eco mode for the basically the sighting laps, so that it saves fuel and just runs a bit lean, just keeps itself cool, and it doesn't get itself kind of worked up before the race. Unfortunately, one of the technicians hadn't taken out that mode, and he went to the grid with it on. It is not something you can turn off on the bike; it has to be manually operated via computer, more than likely some sort of plug-in and his issues weren't over there he had to come in then swap bikes he just literally threw his other bikes out yeah. as mechanics then went out with a soft rear at a track where most riders struggled with a medium the race winner jack winner was on a hard hard for a reference and 
from there on he already had like a 20 second penalty to make up in in terms of how far back he was he was convinced he could win today's race he was felt like he had the pace uh, over the last couple of races from kind of Austria onwards they've had some issue with straight line braking on Aprilia and they seem to fix it this weekend which would be critical at this track he felt he had confidence for the race win at least a podium if not the win and just going out with a medium front software at this track, he gave it everything. But you could see as he caught up to Fabio Digiantoni towards the end of the race, he had no entry grip at the rear. He had no kind of edge grip at all. It was just the tyre was done. He had to push, push like a bastard, as they would say. And uh, he gave it everything. And it was, it was, he probably got lucky that Peko and Fabio weren't first and third or first and fifth, that they were kind of struggling themselves. Because uh, it, it could have been could have been Curtinson really and that would have been a terrible way to go out and uh, maybe he's still in it but oh, you just feel so bad for the guy after having he's kind of the un- a massive underdog and the, the whole underdog story with Aprilia coming back and there's just a few small things that they just haven't got right this year on Alicia's side on Aprilia's side and it just has taken him a bit away from the the front of the championship so hopefully and I touch wood again that he has a kind of a, a nice run in in terms of mechanicals, kind of stupid team mistakes like that, because he deserves to be able to fight for the title. He's been brilliant this year, and he definitely deserves a good crack at it. Yeah, that, that probably sounds about right, what happened there, because Mategi is such a thirsty track. I think all the teams were going to the grid in some sort of eco mode to try and use like as little fuel as possible. They were saying as well, on all the sighting laps, they're always crawling around to use the least fuel possible, so I would say that's 100% plausible. They are probably meant to then turn it off once he got to the grid, but... Obviously, they forgot to do that, and yeah, he had to uh, come in. And <laughs> the way he just shut the bike down. To be honest, if he hadn't got a soft rear on, he probably could have had a decent shot at something good. But clearly, obviously, after probably about halfway through the race, the tyre was completely gone, and he didn't really make much more progress. But he did a good job to even get to where he did. He almost got in the points, but just not quite. And like you say, just no look for a leash there. But we'll move to the complete opposite side of the grid. Jack Miller. What a weekend he's had. Obviously, like we said earlier, well, like I said earlier on, the weekend had a different format. So only one free practice session, one sort of on the Friday, a dry one. That's the only dry running they had before the race. And Jack Miller was top of that session. Usually, you put Jack Miller being winning in a wet race or a bit of a wet dry one, but he cleared off. He did a Fabio Quartararo like at Catalonia or hereth or something like that he just absolutely cleared off he, he didn't even qualify amazingly he was on the second row he carved his way through pretty quickly martin was the one leading initially passed martin pretty easily it was a bit of a uh, a bit close with those two after that uh, pass but then he cleared off the keyboard by about five six seconds ridiculous pace from jack miller there yeah he he, he always actually is very quick of a fighter he he's nearly always does a lot, I actually would like to go back and look at the stats. The same way Friday is he's been the fastest man over the first three practice sessions. He seems to come out of the box well. He's always going on track that has low grip. Uh, we all remember his qualifying lap in Argentina in 2018. Oh, now, quali- qualifying in the wet didn't really go to plan. He said himself he had so many moments. He was lucky not to crash, but he got the most out of his teammate being in 12th, obviously with some sort of Ducati gremlin. For some reason, it didn't work in the rain, which is quite unusual. But he, for whatever reason, he said he just couldn't get a good lap together. He said he did the best he could. And being kind of mid-pack wasn't the worst for him. Good start. He's always seems good offline. That Ducati is a drag bike out of the Starfin straight. And he just, 
picked off Placey. He made a brilliant move into 90 degree corner, I believe it's called. It's at the end of the back straight. Yeah, it's 90 degree corner. Uh, double overtake on Mark Marquez and... Oliveira, I think. Oliveira, yeah, it was one of the KTMs. And got into second for four. And he just looked like he... For want of a better phrase, he looked like he was on warm tyres compared to them being on cold outlap tyres. He just had so much more feel and understanding. He was on the hard tyres. And again, with it being raining all of Saturday and it was monsoon, it was flooded, there was lots of red flags. It was bad weather, so the track was as green as it gets when they came to Sunday's race. Yeah, obviously he had to warm up and a few people tipped off, including Marquez, but he just seems to go well when the track is green. Everyone takes a few more a few more laps to get to speed but by the time anyone else had his kind of race pace he was seven seconds up the road maybe he was the whole start finish straight ahead of his t- ahead of um, the other Ducati of Jorge Martin and really at one point Aleish was kind of running similar lap times but he was like 40 seconds behind him so it was just a perfect race and we've all believed that Jack could have done this before but it's taken a long time to do this in a dry race where he's Got the front and just absolutely obliterated his opponents. But definitely down to the conditions that helped him today because he's very, very good motocrosser, very good with the low grip and kind of the slide in the bike. And it's just the way he rides. He probably actually loses a bit as the weekend goes on and people come up to speed, the track rubs in. He's probably usually at his slowest when it comes to the race because of that. And over that, then it ends up having kind of a, a negative effect on his week's weekend. But once again, cannot give him enough credit for this because he's on his way to Red Bull KTM next year he just put his head down today and just probably signed off that probably is his last victory maybe in GP definitely for Ducati I don't see him winning well I didn't see him winning this one coming to it so maybe he proved me wrong but I don't see him having much of a especially if Peko's there I don't think he'll be Peko when Peko's in the championship hunt so can't give him enough credit I'm a huge Miller fan and today was just awesome as he would say himself yeah it was an awesome performance there from jack miller absolutely unbelievable i mean absolutely left everybody in the dust now he did mention of course he's going to red bull ktm for next season and that was the team that performed really really well today brad binder was actually on the front row which you know jack uh, brad binder started at the front of the grid you know he's gonna have a good race but Oliver was also looking really strong second uh second place or yeah, second place there at the end for Brad Binder. I think fifth place for Oliveira. So a very strong outing for the KTNs. It's the best they've had so far, I would say. Obviously, they got the win, of course, in Mandalika, but as a combined result, definitely the best they've had all season. Yeah, and they looked quite strong. The fact that it's Binder's first front row in GP is quite a stat as well. I, I didn't know that, but you, you kind of think if you go, yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? He's never, never really in the top 10 in qualifying. But when he's there... He has such good race pace towards the mid part of the race. He went with the hardware compared to Jorge Martino with the medium. And he said towards the end of the race, he knew he had the pace to catch him past Martin and finish second behind Jack. Brilliant ride from him. I, I'm also quite a big fan of Binder. I think he is horrifically underrated as a rider. I, um, I've always been a fan of him back as far as his more than three days. Winning from last on the grid in Jerez was always a bit of a highlight for me. I always kind of kept an eye on it from there. Then when he moved up to the Moto2 class, was the, the style he had on that bike really backed it in. A lot of engine brake, rear brake. And it's kind of how he rides the KTM in GP now. He really backs it in. 
And you're just hoping that KTM just make that step where they can get the bike to use a soft set of tires, get a lap time out of the way, because it isn't the worst race bike on the grid, I'd say, because we always see these results where he'll be on the lap six laps, he'll be like within three tenths of Peko, two tenths a lap off Peko every lap towards the end of the race. So like he's kind of thereabouts most weeks. It's just if you're starting 15th, you have 14 bikes in front of you, you get stuck battling Alex Marquez and Fabio DiGiantonio, you'd have a bit of a slower opening five, six laps, and then really in modern day GP, you're not going to pull eight seconds back and pass 11 people to get to the podium. So it's just his qualifying needs to prove, and I think it's more of a KTM issue than a Brad Binder issue. But he was brilliantly strong, and of course, when Gettysel, you can't not give him credit for his ride today he was ahead of binder at one point he ended up slipping back to fourth or back to fifth even at one point and finishing there behind a very very resilient markers but in a dry race nothing kind of funky going on in the race it was a straight up race for them to be that close to the front and that consistent they may have something for next year apparently they have a big engine upgrade coming and they're pretty in-house they're quite excited for it so maybe ktm could be a powerhouse next year but if they got their bike right you never know you could see a ktm world champion very soon they're a they're all they win in every category they're going to so it's not out of the question that they'll turn up with a a kind of a 2006 rc211 3 uh 3v even 2v is that rc211 no, it was 212v and just wipe the field them so overall when they get it right, they will get it horrifically right, is all I'm saying, Reid. And watch out for Brad Binder. He will be pretty much Marquez speed, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, we've seen in the past, uh, 2020, probably a great example. When they get the bike right, it, it does work and they can win races. So, yeah, it will be uh, it will be interesting to see how they progress next year. But you did just mention Mark Marquez a couple of times there. Second weekend back from injury. Pole position on his second weekend. Of course, it was wet, but even still... That's unbelievable. A great weekend overall. I mean, he hadn't done a full race distance for such a long time. In fact, I think he was pretty disappointed after Aragon that he couldn't do the full distance because, of course, he had the damage on the first lap. I think he really wanted to test his physicality. And of Mate at Mategi, of all places, so physical on the brakes. I mean, it's a simple track like you were alluding to earlier with the Moto3. When we talk about Moto3, it's, it is simple, but there's straight hard braking zone straight hard braking zone all the force going through his shoulder it must have been so difficult for him to hang on but he got pole position he hung on there in the race and actually made a move on Oliveira very close to the end I think he probably conserved himself I reckon probably if he'd been going full pace he probably could have finished second perhaps won the race to be completely honest but I think uh, he probably was just looking after himself through that race to make sure he made it to the end but what a fantastic weekend and I think on the bike he just looks so much better than he did before and I think we're really seeing now now that his arm's not bent to like a completely ridiculous degree, like obviously it was before, I think we're starting to see, you know, potentially the old Marquez, because let's be honest, that bike is awful. That bike that he's just finished fourth place on is absolutely horrendous. So, what a weekend for Marquez. Yeah, pretty scary, I'm not going to lie. As I've seen, seen him in, in the West on Saturday, I was just thinking, of Jesus, this guy is... He looks so good again on that bike and he's only back a couple of hours and he's already looking like that. And you, you, you think of it, he's been off a bike for, we'll say, six months. You're going to have some rust getting back on. 
Now, you can say all you want about him riding an Ovale at a track inside Aragon, riding a CBR 600 around Aragon. That is not an art, like a full-blown GP bike. There is nothing like it you can buy and put on a, a karting track in Spain to make it kind of a, a kind of a, we'll say, a trek testing session for yourself. But it comes back to a bike that probably has no developed in, in Blanc de Hamon left and no DNA left from Marcus's kind of input. And he just seems like just he seems steady on it, which is a weird thing to say about Marquez. He just seems comfortable already. He looks good. You mentioned the degrees of his arm back in place. That's probably played a huge part. The more we look back at his return in Portimao last year, at how his arm was like up in the air, it kind of now all makes sense that his arm was broken and we didn't know it at that time. It was pointed out by a lot of X-rayers that his riding style was changed. A lot of his right arm was very up. In fact, he won races like that. He is going to be scary again next year. And one of the weird things he said after the race, he said, I had no pain throughout the race in my right arm, which is the first thing, first time he said that since, we'll say, the crash in her right back in 20. So it'll be just just getting race runs in the rest of this year, getting a bit of race fitness, and then he's going to have a hell of a winter training. You know he's going to be probably the fittest Marquez we'll ever see coming back for 23 probably with a, a revitalized Honda too so if you're Fabio if you're Aleish if you're Peko Bashinini you're you have one hell of a task waiting for you when you come to the grid in Portimao in 23 because that's the opening race of the season at Qatar so geez once again can't say anything negative or just absolutely fantastic again for America's brilliant yeah you, you make a good point really the fact that he managed to win races with the arm in the way it was I think he just just even compared to the earlier on in this season, he never looked comfortable on that Honda, like on the on this model of the Honda, and like you're saying, he looked comfortable on it this weekend. You know, he's saving the front ends. So I think it was just all down to the fact that he couldn't ride naturally. I think he did say at Aragon that he could finally ride like how he used to again, like sort of naturally, without having to sort of have his arm in a weird way. So I I almost can't believe that they, they didn't notice that at first. Like that's some med really bad medical negligence there. That, that how can you not notice a guy's arms like forty degrees out of it's it's ridiculous, but yeah, I mean, on this Honda that's not suited for him, imagine what he could have done on the last year's Honda now, because he managed to win on that with the twisted arm that was obviously built exactly for him, that bike. Imagine on that bike he he would he would be miles in front. imagine him on a Ducati even. They wouldn't see which way he'd gone. But uh, speaking of Ducati, their title hopes did take a little bit of a hit today with Francesco Bagnaia. He's had a very tough weekend, actually. He qualified 12th. Absolutely nowhere in qualifying. I mean, obviously, he, he only got 12th because he'd already got through it based on FB1. He could have been at the back of the grid, to be honest. Like, he really could he really could have been really far back on the grid if he hadn't already got through because he had no pace. He was second off. I think he was like a second off in Sector 1 which is like two corners of a straight. So it tells you a lot how much he was losing. He was like a whole second down at like the top times in one sector. So he was having such a terrible weekend, struggling in the race as well. Once again, had his uh, Ducati stable mate, Bastianini for company. Bastianini made a move on him uh, about midway through the race. He'd been trying for quite a while, pulled away from him. But then by the end of the race, like last maybe six or seven laps, Banyaya sort of got down to a similar pace to Miller, but it was just far too little too late. Managed to repass Bastianini, caught up to the back of Fabio Quattararo, but then disaster struck. I don't really know what he was doing to be completely, 
to be completely honest. Of course, it was the last lap of the race, but he's on a Yamaha. There's like a straight that's so, so long into a 90-degree corner. Just pass him there. Why are you trying to pass him at, like, turn three? Like, what? I mean, to be honest, he probably should have blasted past him on that straight, but if you can't do it, don't do it. I just don't know with Banyaya. As soon as he's under pressure, he makes these mistakes. And I feel like, I obviously, I mentioned the thing about Bashanini earlier, and I mentioned it for a reason. I think that got to him. Bashanini, you know, almost beat him in Masano. Then Bashanini beats him in Aragon. And again, this weekend, Bashanini overtakes him. Sure, he got back in front of him, but he was probably thinking, right, I need to get in front of Fabio, you know, because I need to beat Fabio because Bashanini's not beating Fabio. And I, th I, think, I just think it's in his head. He, like, he knows he needs to beat Fabio. He knows he needs to beat Bashanini as well. But really, like... He shouldn't be focusing on Bashanini, but I think because he knows he's his teammate for next year, I think that got to him. I think the fact that Fabio's right in front of him got to him. The fact that he was having a bad weekend. But he's just had such a good run of form. He's been gaining, he's gained like 90 points back on Fabio. He didn't need to, he could have finished behind him today. Obviously, I know he doesn't need to because there's, there's, you know, they were running out of rounds. But he would have lost one point to him if he'd sat behind him. One point. And he's only like 10 behind anyway, so it doesn't make a lot of difference. And, you know... If he just waited a bit till later in the lap, he could have gained a point on him. But he tries to pass. I mean, he just just took the front because he was on way too tight of a line. He wasn't even actually alongside. He just was. He took gone to the inside. Couldn't pull it off. Lost the front. Just Banyaya. We thought he'd stop making these mistakes, but it just seems that he hasn't. And when the pressure's on, he just crumbles. Oh, on the edge of earth, did he not collide with Fabio? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good point. His bike so nearly hit Fabio. I've seen so many pictures where it like. If you were showing the picture and didn't know what happened, you're like, yeah, that guy Fabio has been sent to the moon. Uh, like, I watched it back. I was watching it live, of course. I watched every replay angle I could see. And each time, even when I know what's going to happen, I was like, he's going to hit Fabio. He's going to hit Fabio. Somehow he just grazes past. It's like you said, he was on such a weird line on the edge of the corner, turn three. No need to do it. Turn two to three is probably the shortest of the straights other than the home start finish straight. You have a bit of a longer run from four to five, and then of course you have the hairpin at hairpin curve back down to ninety degree corner. So you have a big power hill there where you expect to do caddy strong on the brakes where Jack Miller was making up his time. It's just fab, or it's just Peko's massive weakness once again. He's just he's he's not the, he shouldn't be making these mistakes. It, it just shows once again. The only reason last year was that he gave Fabio a run for his money because he was out of the championship already. He goes, F this, I can just ride the way I want. I don't need to focus on kind of beating these people. I don't need to be warm. I can just go and ride. And that's what he did. And that's when he's really good. But he can't do that if there's pressure's on, if he needs to beat this guy, if he has to qualify well, if he has to do this, that and the other. He's, he, he's, he's great when there's no pressure. Like, but that's kind of like the opposite of Valentino if you look he's a lot of people think he's kind of the the kind of the first official replacement of Valentino that he's kind of winning races that he's the VR46 rider but Valentino was great and then he's under pressure he was even better again he just like found an extra couple of tenths when the pressure was on he found something like that whereas Pecco gets confused makes bad judgment calls um, gets flustered very easy which if I was Factor Ducati, I would be incredibly worried about. And I would be a lot more confident in Bastianini going into next year. And at this rate now, you'd be thinking, would Harrogate Martin be a better replacement? And will will we end up with 
Pecco leaving the factory team if he keeps making these mistakes and we'll end up with Jorge Martin and Bastianini on the factory bikes because he just makes so many mistakes always when the pressure's on it's, it's just oh it's just he just crumbles again and again and again and he's just you're not going to win a title like this now he might prove me wrong he might be faultless for the last couple of rounds a handful of rounds we've left and win it by one point but in my opinion he doesn't deserve it for that because he's made mistake 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 but of course he's on the probably the best bike in the grid compared to his main chapter rival who isn't on one of the better bikes on the grid and that's why he's still as of right now 18 points off the championship lead and why we're still going well he could still probably do it because we would think thailand sepang will favor him and we never know what'll happen in a cold cold november day in valencia so championship is still on but jesus like Pecco, you need to stop crashing under pressure. That was just no need for that overtake. It was just not not needed there. Oh, enough. I'm done. <laughs> I mean, you make a good point. You know, he's on the fastest bike. He he's won like what six races this season. How hmm. do you lose a championship when you've won six races? It's it's yep. unreal. But it's just he's either won or crashed. It's just ah, uh, it is. <laughs> Basically, the exact opposite of him is Fabio Quattararo, of course, coming off a crash, but not really his own fault, just a racing incident. And the only other crash he's had was, again, I guess, a racing incident. He went for a pass, and there was a bit of a bit of a crash, but he's never actually sort of took the front completely on his own, like La Bagnard has done on so many occasions. But Fabio, really struggling again this weekend. To be honest, I thought he'd actually... I thought this whole... Uh, new format would suit him so the different format because he seems to be very fast in FB1 I mean it's probably worth noting that I think the top three were Miller, Bagnaia, Quattararo so you know based on the dry running you'd have thought that would be the podium also but no Fabio struggled also in the rain not quite to the same degree as Bagnaia however you know the Yamaha since what but maybe like 16 is kind of a bit dodgy in the rain obviously aside from the mandalika performance and i think france last year really it's not been that great in the rain um rossi did perform some miracles on it but that was rossi being fantastic in the rain i mean uh valencia 18 before the crash comes to mind uh on that department but yeah i think he struggled a little bit in the rain there but you'd think dry race I mean, the Yamaha, again, doesn't work the best in low grip conditions, but that's never actually bothered Fabio as much because he rides the Yamaha in a different way to your old school riders like Rossi Vinales, Morbidelli. I know Morbidelli's a new, more of a newer rider, but he rides very much like Rossi did because Rossi taught him. So he kind of rides it a bit of more of an old school style. So I kind of expect a bit more from Fabio, but, you know, he kind of just did... The, the good damage limitation that he's done, you know, he's done it at other rounds like Termas, so that probably should have been a sign to me that he wasn't going to do well there, because, again, similar low track conditions, weird weekend format. But, yeah, he just, again, just finishes around 7th, 8th. When he can't win, he knows his maximum, and, you know, he he was in front of Padiotti, in fact, he was beating all the people he needed to beat, really. Obviously, Aleish, we said, got unfortunate, but... Fabio was genuinely beating Bagnaia that entire race. Bagnaia was never in front of Fabio. He really should have been, based on the fact his teammate won the race by a good good chunk. And also, this is definitely a track that should suit the Ducati more. But again, he just he keeps his head. A bit like I said about Ayagora back in like Masano, when he's struggling. Just keeps his head. Doesn't crash when others are crashing around him. And, you know, he'll have seen that after the race. He'll have seen that Bagnaia crashed under the pressure of him. Point, balls back in Fabio's court. 
you know, you could argue that the psychology was on Banyaya's side because he was on such a good run of form. Sure, his race winning streak got stopped, but he still finished second and beat Fabio. Well, Fabio was crashed. So all the momentum has been with Banyaya. And that's just crashed into a brick wall. Completely gone. It, Fabio has the upper hand now. Fabio now knows he can force Banyaya into a mistake, even on the weekends where he's struggling himself. So, yeah, that this is why Fabio is already the champion, because, like I was just saying before, at the end of the Banyaya bit, that Banyaya's won six races and is still not leading the championship, whereas I think Quattara... Has Quattara won two? I think Quattara's won two. So, that kind of tells you... All you need to three. know. Was it three? Ah, yes, because, uh, yeah, Catalonia, Saxon Ring. Uh, was there another one? Oh, Portimao. Yeah, so there, there was three. Oh, yeah. But half the races then, let's say, Banyaya. I mean, I think, I th I'm pretty sure Banyaya's won six anyway. He won five on the spin, and he'd won at least one or two before. He might have even won seven. I'm not actually 100% sure. But even, even still, like. You know, he's won, like, double the races of Fabio, but he's crashed in, like, double the races Fabio's crashed in. All right, Catalonia wasn't his fault, but Fabio just has that ability on the weekend to sit there and say, right, you know, sixth place, seventh place, eighth place, that's the best this bike's going to do this weekend, so that's what I'll do my best to get. And it's not like he cruises around, he does push, but he has that knack to just not go over the line. Like, he wouldn't have done the same thing there. I think he would have... You know, if he wouldn't, well, if he was on a Ducati, he would have won the race. He wouldn't have been where Banyai was. But let's say the revolves are reversed. He wouldn't have tried some silly, like, half up the inside move. He would have, you decided, right, I'm going at this corner. I'm going to just go for it here. I'm not going to, like, half got the inside and then just break really tight on the inside and lose the front. So, yeah, uh, Fabio just once again showing why he's champion because great damage of limitation can beat his rivals even when he's struggling. Yeah, you've pretty much summed it up there quite well. Fabio just gets the most out of whatever he has. Whether that's last lap battles with Marcus down to the final corner, whether it's P6 versus um, Vinales, whatever that bike is capable on day, he will bring it there with interest on whatever's around him. He can pull a result out that isn't expected. I look back at the couple of races at Mugello over the last couple of years where he's done magnificent overtaking into turn one at Magello. he did brilliant for the last two years at Spielberg just making the impossible possible and then when he really struggles for track condition track position whatever it is he doesn't end up making mistakes of Peko at all it's just simple he does not make them mistakes and that's why we're sitting here going well he doesn't have the best bike like he just is consistent and that's how he gets his title across the line I still believe if we give everyone eagle equipment he is the fastest rider currently on the grid leaving Marquez with a bit of an asterisk next to his name just because he's uh, shall we say not fully fit yet but you just look at Peko making all these mistakes and you look at Fabio taking the P6s when they're on offer, taking the P8s, making the people around them make mistakes, putting pressure on riders that you didn't, you don't expect. Like, go back to Spielberg when he finished second behind the factory Ducati. He overtook Miller in a chicane and then outdragged him to in a straight line. Like, how does he do these things? And then we go to these races and he just gets the maximum. He does it so well. And if we're sitting here and we'll say a month's time and we're talking about, oh, how Fabio's won the title... 
this is why we'll be this is this is the foundation to his titles if he wins the second this year, which as of right now, I hundred percent believe he will because of the fact Peko is brittle and he will crumble like a piece of chocolate the next time he's under pressure. And I don't see Fabio doing that. Fabio's had two crashes this year in race conditions. One was a like a slight miscommunication between him and Leish in Assen. He actually didn't crash. He had to kind of pick the bike up and tuck the front all in one motion to not take out his tight rival. And of course, last time out where he ended up running up the back of a Marcus who had a mistake, maybe three foot in front of him. So he just is the ultimate Sunday man. The old Valentino kind of does it on a Sunday, gets the job done. Can't see past him at the moment for the title. Maybe Leish, because Leish is a wild card, you never know what he could do in the, kind of the few final rounds. But right now, before I get asked who's my money on, I'm going to go with Fabio. You stopped me from doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can still ask you another question. <laughs> Put your money. Who's your money on for next week? But we'll come to that in a second. Of course, they are heading to Boyaram. I think it's next week, and then I think there's a week off. Or is it the week off yeah. now? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I can't remember exactly how it is. Obviously, the flyaways always used to be back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, but because there's now four of them, there is at least one week layoff between them. you think you'd have the break between the Europe and the yeah. flyaway, and not the flyaway and the other flyaway, because they're both in Asia, so they're not that far away. From, I mean, obviously, yeah, they are far, but it's not as far as going from Europe to Japan. Uh, it's not so much jet lag either. you think, you know... Whatever. Anyway, Dawn will make the calendar <laughs> however they see fit, I guess. Just the most random way they can at least the flyways somewhat make sense we're going to Boyram again another track where we've not gone to since 2019 we've now seen what that's like because obviously we had that back in Argentina as well we've seen a few tracks where we haven't been there since 2019 and they've they've produced some very strange races so I'd imagine that probably going to get something similar uh Boyram is usually usually has a different tire to the rest of the season, a bit like Austria sometimes has, a bit like how Mandalika did earlier this year. So I think they might bring that old 2018 carcass again. I'm not sure, but I know in the past they've definitely brought older spec tires that have been designed for the heat and just how Boyram is. So that could really, really throw a spanner in the works. So ev- with that all said, who's your money on for uh, Boyram? Honestly, <laughs> um, it's like picking names out of a hat, isn't it? <laughs> it could be anybody. It really, it really <laughs> is. It really is. It's. I'm, I'm trying to think. Are you go right? I you could you could see you could kind of make an argument for Jack after today's result, Peko because of the kind of go where and he'll have to prove himself. Elish, he'll have the bit between his teeth. Vinales has gone cold the last couple of rounds. You'd imagine he'd want to come out fighting. Fabio will do something out of his skin. Marcus had a great race today and doesn't look as injured as we all thought. Jorge Martin was on the podium again today. Uh, will I continue? <laughs> yeah, it just sums um, up modern MotoGP, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's just there's so little between them, but I just like I'm gonna go for a wild card of Jorge Martin. No, it could be a million miles off, but I'm a huge Jorge Martin fan. I've always liked him back since his uh, Grassini days, and. Uh, I reckon he might have a good race there. It's kind of a a Ducati track, but definitely my oil card will be Mark Marcus. I reckon he could um, spoil, the, spoil the fun of the front few guys, but we'll see. It's going to be fun either way. He is actually undefeated there, so it is, uh, you, you know, 
I mean, they've only raced there twice, mind you. Doesn't matter. It feels like more than twice the amount of years it's been yeah. in the MotoGP game, but uh, it yeah, is only twice. MotoGP game has ruined it for But I think we've probably had enough of your time now, so I hope you did enjoy that one. If you are watching on YouTube, do give the video a like because it does help us out. And similarly, if you are listening on Spotify, please do rate the podcast five stars because once again, that does help us out. But I've been Reese. Thank you for listening to the podcast and we'll see you for the next round in Thailand.